and welcome to Wellbeing for Dog Groomers, the podcast. My name is Carla. I have been a dog groomer since 2014. Over time, be it before an exam, at the side of a competition ring or online, I have had many a quiet chat with fellow dog groomers who, like myself, struggle at times to balance life, work and maintaining a healthy well-being. My aim is to talk to both professional dog groomers and mental health professionals to help us understand what triggers stress and anxiety within our industry, why so many of us struggle with our mental health and what we can do to help ourselves. I also want to share stories and handy tips to make life in the salon easier. I am not a professional in mental health and I am not qualified or trained to give advice in this area. I am however interested in mental health and what effects our work can have on our well-being and finding ways to help. So, whether you are a brand new groomer or you have been at it for decades, whether you struggle with your mental health or work with a groomer who does, this podcast is for you. Hello and welcome to Wellbeing for Dog Groomers, the podcast. This week, I'm talking to vet Ed Henley. Ed has been a small practice vet since 2022 and he is also the husband of the lovely Kelly Henley, who is a dog groomer and a grooming instructor. So he also understands and sees what goes on inside the salon. And that's why I thought he would make an excellent guest. We're discussing skin and some of the long-term problems that our dogs may have and the ways that we can help make the groom more comfortable for the dogs and in turn, make our job easier through having the knowledge on how to alter what we do. Although we absolutely cannot diagnose the problems in our salon, I thought it would be good to also discuss the ways to spot some of the symptoms that present so that we know when to encourage our clients to take a visit to talk to their vets. At the end of the interview, we also discuss some of the listeners' questions that you put forward on the Facebook page. So without further ado, here is the interview. Ed was so open, kind and explained everything so well, so I really hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Here we go. Hi Ed, welcome to Wellbeing for Dog Groomers. How are you today? Hello, yeah, I'm really good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, really good, thank you. Um, So I thought to start off with, could you just introduce yourself? Of course. So my name's Ed. I'm a small animal veterinary surgeon from down in South Devon. And I'm also married to Kelly Gaylor, who is a groomer, tutor and all-round great person. Brilliant. She's in episode four. So if anyone wants to catch up, then they can go back and listen to her episode because she was kindly one of one of the first guests that I had on the show, actually. So absolutely love Kelly. Brilliant, brilliant girl. So to start us off, like I know that you when when I first reached out to you, you said that you deal with skin a lot. So as groomers, we see all sorts of skin problems. And I know that you like to sort of break them into categories so would you just tell us a bit about them and then anything that we can do to help yes of course so definitely skin makes up a good 25 to 30 percent of what i see every day um yeah it's any anything from itchy feet to i guess ear infections so i definitely would class recurrent ear infections as classed under the same same thing Yes, I do like I like to break it up kind of into into three kind of main categories of skin. And I guess I'll talk through each one and then certain things you can do in the salon to kind of help with those. Mm-hmm. Um, first one being parasites. So that's, you know, fleas, ticks, lice, mites, all the all the kind of creep crawlies that will that you can find on dogs. Yeah. You know, I think the big thing with that is 
make sure well, if you're finding fleas on a, on a dog make sure that the owners are using a an appropriate treatment so a lot of the over-the-counter medications that you get they use something called fipronil and i'm actually seeing quite a bit of infestations even though they're being treated with these so whether we're seeing resistance to the the product or whether it's just not as effective as a product so definitely i think if you're if you're seeing fleas and the owner says that they're treating i'd probably get them to to get in contact with their vet uh, and they can discuss using something maybe a little bit stronger one of the more prescription strength medications Yeah. i use next guard i think next guard is probably a the best one that, that that's available it's a tablet so it's you know it's easily to administer you don't have to worry about efficacy so a lot of the spot-ons if you're bathing your dog if they're going swimming can lose their efficacy same with the collars and also
got a lot of kind of grime and and, and fl maybe flaky skin you want to get rid of that before you're putting these products on otherwise it's just going to sit on top of a layer of of dirt and um not be as effective i think the worry is that if a dog is has some underlying skin disease that it could um you know irritate but if you're using something nice and gentle um perfume free and and, and you know, ph balanced then it should be Yeah. uh, minimal Okay, fab, thank you. And so coming to the third category, what's the last one that you, you wanted to say? so this is probably the biggest one that we see which is allergic skin disease um and it encompasses quite a few different things that the dogs can be allergic to. So uh, fleas, so flea allergic dermatitis is something that we, we see more in cats, but you do see it in dogs. Um, food allergies with that we often treat with, with diet. These are things, you know, we see dogs that typically they're quite young. So, so generally in the first one to two years, one to three years of life, um, they start to develop these things. Um, but they're on quite a specific diet or on a, um, what's called a, a, either a single sort of protein or a hydrolyzed diet where the protein has been broken down so it's no longer seen as an allergen by the body Okay. i think the big thing with that is that these dogs need to be just on that food so i probably would always check with your owners that the dogs aren't on a prescription diet Okay. um and if you so if you're feeding treats that contain something like chicken beef even if they're not chicken or beef flavored Mhm. um, the dog could have an underlying allergy and there could be a little trace of the chicken in there which Mm right. could flare up the skin. So I'd just be really Yeah. careful with your owners. You know, is he on anything particular? Am I right to give him treats? Yeah, that's great advice, actually. And with the allergy dogs, like I was sort of with my, in my salon, not so much if it's food allergies, I suppose. But I know a lot of my, my customers flare up around spring or around the end of summer when, you know, the different pollens and the different grasses are about. So I always try and encourage them to go shorter. So there's less allergen sort of sitting on the coat. And I try to get them to bring them for an extra bath between grooms so that they're constantly removing them and keeping the dog free of free of what it's allergic to, I suppose, sitting on the coat. Is that something that you'd agree with or is there anything else that you'd recommend with these allergy sort of dogs? So definitely, I think, you know, you're you're kind of referring to the environmental allergen or the Yeah. environmental allergy dogs. And that's kind of probably the the, the biggest um, group within within allergic skin disease. Sometimes we refer to it as atopic dermatitis. Okay. Um, some people might hear as their dogs are, have atopy, similar thing. It's very common, you know, Frenchies, Westies, Labradors, Poodles. So a lot of the Poodle crosses now we're seeing with, with these um, environmental allergens. And I think you're right, the... removing any allergens from the coat is, is part of part of treatment you're you're preventing buildup um you're keeping kind of the airflow a lot of the topical treatments now there's some great shampoos that are targeted at improving the skin barrier so you're Okay. kind of making the environment of the skin the best it can be and so that extra bath that you're recommending to your clients is is also a really good idea because one you like I said you're removing allergens from the body But you can also possibly use one of these really good topical treatments, these, these shampoos. They're not prescription, but they're just really, really good at supporting the skin and, and yeah, giving it the best environment that you can to, to work properly. Yeah. I probably would just have a chat with your vet um, just so that they're aware, because there's a few different ones that you can use depending on the, the type of skin problem that you're having. But Yeah. they're really good at kind of maintenance therapy and, and, and preventing flare-ups. Yeah, so just chat to your vet and they'll recommend something appropriate to your dog or yeah, that's great. Or pass the advice on to the owners to talk to the vet and that's great. Thank you.
So moving on from there, this is more for, well, it's sort of for my benefit, really, because in my salon, I've had a little flurry recently of dogs that have been diagnosed with heart disease to the point where they've actually got this enlarged heart that's going on. I've had two Cavapoos and a Cocker Spaniel in the last probably three or four months. So could you perhaps talk to us a little bit about that? I mean, the only adaptions that I've really made after speaking to the owners is they've developed a bit of a cough. So I've started using a harness instead of a noose. And also I'm keeping my dryers nice and cool on them because I don't want them to enhance the cough that they've got. But is is there anything else that we need to bear in mind? And is that right? <laughs> Sorry, I've no, been yeah. talking for ages. No, that's fine. No. Um, so the heart disease, yes. Yeah, so often you will see this this enlarged heart as a result of overfilling of the heart because of the heart the heart disease um you know the heart isn't pumping effectively it's not getting that blood out in which case you're getting a buildup of blood um, right, okay. and then you get that dilation of, of the heart usually it then pushes on the on the trachea on the windpipe and that's what causes your cough and it's so it's that enlargement i think definitely you know things that aren't gonna press on the trachea aren't gonna cause any obstructions so using a, a harness is, is probably really good these dogs are also quite prone to overheating as well. Right. So dryers on cool is a great idea. Um, okay. you know, these dogs, because as as you get hot, your body has to pump blood faster to kind of cool it down. But they can't keep up with that because their heart is also already inefficient at pumping blood. So you're putting more strain on these dogs and they're just not going to cool effectively. So, yeah, nice yeah. and cool dryers. Not, nothing that's going to obstruct the, the airflow, the kind of windpipe. And also with these dogs, I think keeping excitement and stress to a minimum, their heart isn't efficient, really. So they, at times of stress and excitement, they're going to have a really hard time to, to maintain that cardiac output, that kind of blood flow out of the heart. Okay. Um, so I would keep try and keep them nice and calm. If you can reduce stress in any way, then, then ideal. Yeah, brilliant. No, that's a really good point to bear in mind as well. And I suppose the other thing I was sort of thinking is with these sorts of dogs... I'm assuming it's really important for the owners to keep their weight in a pretty decent shape, you know, so to what they're supposed to be. Because we, as groomers, I mean, I some of the dogs that come in, I think, oh, this dog is so overweight. Definitely. I think you know, we, we probably see a, a good amount of overweight dogs and it can sometimes be quite a hard subject to broach with owners. Mm. Um, they, they can take it personally almost. So you've yeah, got to be really... Yeah, it's a really, but it's an important one, especially with, you know, heart disease, joint disease, um, anything that's going to put more stress on the body, you know, it's important that we keep the weight down. And especially in you know, heart disease, these dogs are generally less active because they have exercise intolerance as part of the disease. So they're really prone to them putting on weight because they're not doing as much. So mm. being really, I guess, proactive in, yeah. in, in talking to them and making sure that they keep the weight down is is great. Yeah. I try and be really tactful. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a fine art, I think, talking yeah. to people about their dogs, about their dog's weight. Um, I've definitely had some, yeah, interesting uh, responses to um, telling people. <laughs> so that that's really interesting. And when you actually said about the heart and how it fills up and it actually gets enlarged, like I, I couldn't really understand why that would happen. I didn't really get it. But when you sort of explain it like that, then it totally makes sense. So... No, there's some great advice there and really good information. The other thing I wanted to talk to you about was the Cushing's, because I know that's something that we probably can sort of notice a few signs and hint that, you know, the dog should 
should head to the vet. So what are the sort of signs that we can spot with the Cushing's? where your body is overproducing or the body's overproducing cortisol, the stress hormone. The cortisol is sky high and it's usually older dogs. So you're looking for an older dog, probably 10 and over. Kind of, again, you're looking at poodles do come up as, as a breed that's affected, also dachshunds, but any breed can really be affected. And you're looking at, usually the big signs are they drink a lot, they wee a lot, a lot because of that. Um, they're generally really hungry dogs. Yeah. Um, they're ravenous in terms of appetite and they'll often have a, a distended abdomen or kind of this pot-bellied appearance and that's due okay, to yeah. you get quite a lot of muscle wastage uh, on the abdominal muscles but you also get liver enlargement and, and organomegaly so enlargement of the organs of the abdomen so it gives this appearance of of a pot belly like a big, be a big beer belly sort of yeah look. exactly yeah that's that's typically what what that they have with a, a you generally have quite a poor top line you can see their spine um you know the muscles of the back legs will waste so they generally get quite weak and then you get quite a lot of coat changes so you'll get thinning fur generally get quite thin skin you can get this get alopecia so you'll get these patches usually over the back and uh, the, the tail goes quite thin uh, mm -hmm. And it's really thin for thin skin. You often see quite a lot of vessels. Um, yeah. And so they typically when you have a, a Cushingoid appearance, uh, most people have probably seen a, a Cushing dog at some point yeah. um, and have a picture of it in their head. Yeah, I've had a few in my salon. And to be honest, you have literally just described the exact look of these dogs. So I've had a mini Schnauzer. I've had a Whippet and a Bichon. Or they're the three breeds that I've I've sort of experienced Cushing's with and like you say all of them have had patchy coat or thin coat they've all got a bit weak around the back end they've all got this like you say the, the beer belly sort of look underneath like they're not fat anywhere else but it's like their belly's just got all the all the bloating there and so as far as things go on the table I know you mentioned that they can waste muscles up the back end which is definitely my experience in the whippets especially that I've seen it in I mean we can provide extra support for them when we're on th they're on three legs maybe when trimming nails just make sure there's someone else there to support or you've got your arm around the body to sort of help them you know lean on you I suppose um is there anything else that you can think of that that would would aid the dog they're going to be very thirsty, so giving them extra kind of water breaks, toilet okay. breaks. They're going to be quite panty, and again, they can be prone to overheating if you're panting quite a bit. And okay. It cools down the body, but if you're over-panting, you're almost hyperventilating, you can get quite hot. Yeah. Um, so just so be aware if they're in if they're in a dryer, you know, keep it on cool. Don't put them in drying cabinets for long periods of time. Um, no, that's really good advice. And I suppose with the thin skin as well, you've got to be, you know, ever so careful with what blades you're using. And I know we're always careful, as careful as we can be with the dogs, but I suppose it might be worth using comb attachments and things that are less likely to just nick odd little bits. Be careful, especially with the slicker brushes and things that we use, because the skin is obviously so thin i know mm -hmm. again i refer to the whippet because the whippets don't have much hair anyway but i mean I, I wouldn't use a slicker on her anyway but just from looking at the skin around the lower hocks and the feet and those sorts of areas like you say you can literally see all of the arteries and on her belly that, that even started going a bit sort of crepey it was sort of like thin and wrinkled and sort of just not a very healthy looking skin at all with the schnauzer it's harder to see the skin because she's got a better coat but she was definitely pot belly and definitely um definitely weaker up the back end for sure so 
those are some really really good advice there and really good tips so thank you very much for that the last question that I was going to sort of ask before we get to the listeners questions is as far as like obviously I know you're married to Kelly and she's got her grooming salon and grooming school and obviously you're a vet so is there any things that you've noticed that you think oh we could communicate a bit better if we did this that you've come up between yourselves yeah so I think there's definitely always seen a little bit of kind of animosity between vets and groomers I don't know why but there always seems to have been a bit of friction there um I think at the end of the day everyone is both sides are, are there for the well-being of the dog we're yeah. all on we're on the same side essentially you know we're we're trying to make sure that they're happy healthy and, and yeah of course you know, enjoy enjoy themselves so um I think make, getting a good relationship with your vet is great it's it's ideal um mm -hmm. you know you're seeing these dogs a lot more frequently than we are I said earlier you know you're, you might see them every six weeks for a groom I might see a dog once a year if they come in for their vaccine sometimes yeah. not even that and so you're going to be seeing these dogs close up you're going to be having hands on them if you notice anything changing and you've got that good relationship with your vet you can you can speak to the owners you can say look I've seen this go you know i recommend or i would advise you to go and see a vet obviously you can't yeah. diagnose no um, but you can you can kind of start that process of, of getting them in yeah and would you say things like taking pictures or writing little notes or, or something helps because i was saying to someone on on the podcast the other week that i actually think it would be quite interesting if the groomer took the customer's dog to the vet to speak to the vet and just cut the customer out of the loop because sometimes it's like Chinese whispers between you and you think oh no that wasn't what I told you to tell them and you, like you say we see these changes we notice the differences but then it's quite easy to overwhelm a customer with oh I've noticed this and I've noticed this and I can't tell you what it is but you should tell the vet this and tell the vet that and you think half a mile up the road they're going to forget half of that so yeah would, would you say that things like pictures and notes and and things like that we can send with the customers would be a, a good idea or would be helpful yeah definitely you know we're always you know, pictures are you know, they speak a thousand words and and they're always really good especially kind of serial photos as well you know if if, if you're seeing something change take yeah. a photo of it and if you're gonna if they're not going to do anything straight away and they're going to keep an eye on it you can say look well this is how it's changed in the last six weeks right um, yeah that's also really handy but also diagrams of where you find new lumps, you find new you know, skin lesions, mm -hmm. um, anything you're concerned of. If you have a diagram, we it helps us a lot because we, otherwise we just feel over the dog. And sometimes the owner doesn't know. Yeah, or say they got... send in the husband. That's, oh, a, that's yeah. a big one. Um, <laughs> the husband gets sent in sometimes with a list, sometimes without. <laughs> and, and we're just looking, looking for things. Yeah, that's where we're quite similar. We get sent lists in of what to do this to this and this to this. And we're a little stick dog with arrows. <laughs> but yeah, no, that's a really good idea, especially the overtime thing as well, because it can be really frustrating as a groomer when you've said to an owner, two, three, four, five grooms in a row, look, you really need to go and you really need to go. So the idea of keep taking pictures and then send you know, even if you have to send it to the owner, look, this is the last six visits it's been to, A, it will drum it into them that actually there is a change, and B, it gives the vet an idea of how long this has been going on. So thank you. So listeners' questions. It's all a bit random. So the first one that we got sent in was about ear plucking. Should we do it? If so, when? If not, why not? 
what should we bear in mind if we do do it? What what really is your opinion on it? Because it causes so many arguments on the groom and Facebook. I figured, you know, let's ask you. It, it's it is a bit of a kind of I guess controversial one, but I don't recommend to you pluck ears regularly. You know, I wouldn't say every poodle needs its ears plucked. You know, you're causing trauma to the skin every time you you do pluck the the hair, the fur. You're irritating that you know ear. If a dog then starts scratching, you're gonna predispose them to getting infections. So I w- wouldn't do it unless it's it's instructed by a vet. Like I said, if a dog has very hairy ear canals, they get very matted, they get clogged up. Mm-hmm. You know, that can be a predisposing factor for infection. And so sometimes we do recommend those dogs have their ears plucked um, regularly. Um, I have to do it when well, we have to do it for our, our poodle um, because she gets very matted in there and otherwise she gets really itchy. So we have to keep it clear. But definitely, and, and you know, groomers, you're allowed to pluck ears as long as it's, you know, not sore, not matted, not showing any signs of infection. Um, but if you're, if you look at the ear and you say that looks a bit sore, I'd leave it alone and get them to to see a vet. Yeah, yeah, it's just one of the things. I suppose I personally don't do it in my salon because I'm a bit of a worrier, and I say, you know, if you need it doing then you can go and see a vet and I'm sure that they'll help you, whether it's, you know, under sedation or not under sedation or, you know, you've got the option. Whereas in the salon, I find it rare that a customer's dog will tolerate it. I personally don't pluck ears in my salon. Mm-hmm. I'm too much of a warrior. I will worry that they'll go away and then they'll get an infection and then the owners mm-hmm. were going to blow me. That's one thing that I worry about. Another thing I worry about is what if there's an underlying condition that I can't see, like the ear might look healthy, but you know, there could be an ear infection tomorrow, regardless of whether I touch it or not. And how do I know that? I just can't. So from what you're saying, it really, it comes back down to liaise with the vet, the ownership liaise with the vet. And if it needs doing, then it's up to each individual groomer whether they do it or not, or whether they refer it back to the vet and say, if it needs plucking, then, you know, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, <laughs> they're often they're often quite sore, these ears. So, I, I, you know, we often do it under sedation um, and you can get it all out. You can have a really good look down there um, yeah. and make sure there isn't any infection, there isn't any kind of damage to the eardrums, which, which mm. again, is, is super painful. So we don't want to be putting these dogs through things that, it's going to hurt them and it's going to possibly cause more issues. So yeah, um, I'd say not routinely, but if your vets um, recommended it, then then go for it. Fair enough. Yeah, no, that's great. And I suppose the next one is a very similar sort of controversial sort of topic. So I'm not hitting you with all of them. Sorry. With the teeth cleaning, should we do it? Shouldn't we do it? When should we? When shouldn't we? Any, any advice? Yeah, so there's a lot of a lot of discussion about this. Um, I think, you know, there's no issue with it being used, I suppose, for prevention. But I think what we shouldn't do is use it on dogs that already have dental disease, that already have quite inflamed gums. You know, what we have, what we do with at the vets is we have them under anaesthetic because we know these this scaling can be quite sore. We can then get right under the gum line where the bacteria sit. And we can get all that tartar off with a with an ultrasonic scaler. If you're going in there with a brush, I know I know you're not kind of actively brushing, but you're still putting a you know, spiky object in there. Mm-hmm. Already inflamed, possibly sore, possibly infected teeth. You could just again be making it more uncomfortable for the dogs. You know, I think 
there's not like I said, there's nothing wrong with once they've had a dental um, and they've had all that removed, they've had their, their teeth assessed by a vet and any that need to come out have been have been dealt with. You can use it as a way of preventing it from happening again, a bit like yeah. you know, brushing your normally brushing your teeth. So it's prevention I, rather than cure in our instance. Definitely, yeah. Get, get yeah. the teeth where the vet's happy with them and then mm -hmm. help them move forward. Any signs of gum inflammation, any signs of anything, lumps, bumps that we don't know about, refer back to the vet. Once the vet's happy, then carry on cleaning sort of thing. It's just, it's just very, like you say, prevention rather than cure. Yeah, it's very hard to properly assess the teeth are conscious because you have to have a really good look in the mouth which often dogs won't like you doing we can take x-rays we can kind of probe to see if there's any tracks to see if there's any um you know how much gum recession there is there's a lot that goes into a kind of a, an oral assessment when the dog okay. is under anesthetic um and you're just not able to do that in a conscious dog uh, no. especially if it's sore i think as well owners might get confused about it as a replacement for 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 dental care right. or for, for seeing a vet um i know i've not seen any but you hear of people or it being advertised as almost like an anesthetic free dental especially if they're scaling as well so that's that's one thing i would say is is don't take anything metal to the teeth you, no. these kind of metal scalers you can get they can actually cause they'll cause damage to the enamel you know the scalers we use we use them in a very specific way the dog is completely still so we know we're only using them gently um so, yeah. yeah, I think, you know, we don't want to cause more. I know everyone has good intentions, but we don't want to cause more more damage. Um, right. Yeah. No, that's really, really clear advice. So, um, yeah, thank you for that one. And the last one was uh, someone had put in was if a dog's in pain, what are some of the more discreet signs that they may display rather than like you're yelping and you're shaking and you're, you know, is, is there any, any signs we should be looking for? um otherwise yeah so that's actually that's a really good question because um typically when a when we're kind of assessing a dog for for his more chronic pain um you're not looking for the you know i touch that and the dog says ow it turns because it's painful you're looking at these very subtle usually behavioral changes um so with the kind of acute pain you see that you know it might be lame it might be licking its paw it might be vocalize when you touch it but for the kind of chronic state so you know arthritis you, you know your older dog it's it's these behavioral changes so slowing down is 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 often what we get told so oh he's he's just getting old and actually if you dig a bit deeper it's usually because the dog's in some sort of discomfort um mm -hmm. so if a dog is just not as active as it as it used to be yes you know to some degree it will be it can be age related you know as you get yeah. older you lose your muscle mass you're not as you need you're fitness isn't the same but it's you know often we're looking for is this dog stiff in its in its hips and its elbows is there any restriction in, in its movement also kind of less less inclined to jump on and off things so on the sofa it's um, funny you said that I was just about to say that my oldest dog is not far off 14 now and I only went to the vet about I think it was about a month or two ago because she stopped jumping on my bed which for her is like a real, she's always slept on my bed. I go to work, she sleeps on my bed. And she will not leave my bed until I finish for lunch. She'll come down, have a wee, go back on my bed. I finish work, she'll come down, bark at me until I give her her dinner. Whereas this last, well, I suppose it, a couple of weeks leading up to when I went, I said, she's not jumping on the bed anymore. 
she's not got that spring in her step going up the stairs. She sort of stumbles up a couple of the steps on the way up. And just odd things. When she's walking, she carries her legs funny a bit on the back end when she comes home. And we've now got her on some, I think, I don't know what they actually are, to be honest, but it's to help her. And it definitely has helped her, like, just reduce the pain. And she's back on the bed. <laughs> and she's not tripping up the stairs when she goes up so it's really nice to see and you, it's horrible seeing dogs to climb of age isn't it it's horrible i hate mm. seeing it. it's just the worst thing but it's nice to see that actually having been to see my vet and had a chat about it and got got her some help that she's actually back to her back to her normal self even if it is just being lazy and <laughs> making the most of my bed while i'm not in it <laughs> there's, there's so much now for that, that you can offer for these dogs especially you know arthritis there's so many treatments and and you know paraprofessionals so hydrotherapy physiotherapy to to kind of support the dogs another th thing that I, I will say is that often a lot of behavioral cases there's a good probably majority of them which will have some underlying pain so if a dog is just naughty or reactive so that's mm -hmm. quite a big one they will sometimes just be tarnished as if it's reactive it's just a reactive dog but actually it could be that it's that it's painful and it's preempting it's saying i'm going to get in there first because i'm expecting this to hurt yeah um, so so if a dog is you know being more reactive than normal you know it's not tolerating you lifting its legs up it's, it's biting or, or, or turning and, and and being being reactive that could be a clue that maybe there is discomfort there yeah sure especially when we're trimming nails and things so i often sort of think with the older ones you do have to sort of get yourself in some funny angles to make it comfortable for them as they start showing their age. And just like you say, not wanting to, if it's a bigger dog and it usually jumps on the table for you and it doesn't want to do it now, it's like, that's odd. There's no reason for it not to do that. So to me, that says, oh, I'm, I'm not feeling quite able to jump that today. Or like I said, with the nails, if they start pulling about and they're not usually like that, or they start fidgeting a lot more and trying to pull the leg away and you sort of think well that's not like you what's going on here sort of thing with yourself like you know when you've got a sore back you're sort of preempting everything around you aren't you yeah. you're sort of thinking oh no that's gonna hurt oh there's a step oh i'm gonna have to sit yeah. down or you know and you're in a foul mood if you've got a bad back you're grumpy yeah. because you've been hurting <laughs> for ages you don't want to move you kind of hold yourself rigid so it's exactly the same with with dogs um, yeah Great. Thank you so much. And is there anything that I've missed? Is there anything else that you wanted to add? Um, I think we've covered a lot of it. I think with one thing I might say about the, the if a dog's got bad skin, um, yeah. you know, probably consider scissoring instead of clipping. Um, if we don't, we don't want to drive bacteria further into the skin or cause mm -hmm. trauma to the skin. You said about the, the slicker brushes, um, yeah. you know, possibly using a, a gentler brush so so you're not got you haven't got that trauma to the skin um yeah, yeah comb attachments possibly scissoring um not blasting on hot so if they've got inflamed skin already or, or irritated skin and you're putting heat on that yeah and you can make them even more uncomfortable yeah, yeah. No, there's some really great tips actually and it's so handy having you talking to us because obviously you're familiar with the salon and what goes on in the salon? I don't know if you've actually done any grooming, but I'm sure you've spent time in the salon while Kelly's in there. So you know you know what's going on and how we do things. So um, thank you so much for coming on. I've really enjoyed talking to you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. Great. Thank you very much. And cheerio. Take care. Bye. Thank you, Ed. We really tackled some pretty big topics in that interview. 
and it was really interesting to get to hear from a vet's point of view about some of the conditions that we see in the salon and finding out ways to help. I just wanted to remind listeners that Eddie is a vet in England and I'm a dog groomer in England so therefore it would be worth checking the regulations for your country before you go ahead and pluck ears or do teeth cleaning. Next week I'm talking to Susan Harness-Mead about AccuSound therapy. We will cover some of the ways it can help with what sorts of problems and how she got into it. Susan has worked in the corporate world then dived into the world of dog grooming which she still does but now she also offers AccuSound therapy as her second job. For now, thank you for listening. I will be back next Tuesday. And in the meantime, please rate the podcast on your chosen platform to help others find it. And follow Wellbeing for Dog Groomers, the podcast on Facebook. Have a brilliant week. Cheerio.